Welcome to Escrow Out Loud, the SF real estate podcast from Jackson Fuller Real Estate. Experts on San Francisco real estate since 2002. Podcast notes with links available at jacksonfuller.com slash podcast. Hi, I'm Matt. Today is Friday, April 3rd. My guest today is a recognized leader in the mortgage banking and brokerage business, a longtime friend, and has been leading his bank's adaptation to lending in a COVID-19 reality. It is my pleasure to say hello to John Ebner with Opus Advisors Flagstar Bank. Thank you for joining us, John. Well, thank you, Matt, and thank you for such a nice uh, introduction. Uh, It's rather a a nice, long, poetic way of saying that I'm old. Maybe another poetic way of saying that would be to say that uh, when God rested on the seventh day, having created the earth, I got busy trying to finance it. So there you are. <laughs> well, not only perhaps are you old uh, or mature, as the jargon goes, but you're also good mm-hmm. if you've been around that long. <laughs> right. <laughs> the gray beard. <laughs> so what's happening to buyers who want a mortgage right now, John? Well, uh, it, it's interesting. The, the mortgage marketplace uh, is very fluid right now uh, and changing uh, much in the way that it, it started to happen in 2008. Um, but in uh, specific terms, I would say it really depends on what kind of mortgage you're looking for. If you are in the, I'll say, bucket for uh, a loan that fits conforming guidelines, conforming meaning a loan that will be purchased by Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac, uh, the two government agencies, much of that has been uh, unchanged or the changes that have uh, have occurred are being smooth. And and when I say change, it's usually negative. Uh, Those are being smoothed out, for example, on appraisals. Um, The conforming, uh, if you're a purchaser, uh, conforming uh, guidelines now say that a desktop or even a drive-by is sufficient for uh, for their purposes and they will buy the loan. So appraisers don't need to go into properties and do an interior inspection. Uh, so those are the sorts of things that, uh, that conforming is doing. Uh, government is similar, uh, although they do have their own pricing problems, government loans, that bucket being Fannie, uh, I'm sorry, FHA or VA. Then you have what, is the jumbo marketplace. And that's by and large what we do in in our area, mostly because these loans exceed the loan limits that conforming does. And there you're really all over the map. Some lenders are gonna still require uh, that do these loans are going to be requiring full appraisals, interior appraisals. They're also going through um, uh, changes in, in what they're doing. And when I say change again, it's a negative, meaning they're contracting what they will do. So they're maybe lowering loan to values uh, that they'll go to, uh, meaning you have to come up with a larger down payment. Um, they're raising the FICO scores, your credit score that you have to have. They're trying to mitigate what risk they have in a market that could go into a declining phase. So uh, it really depends on what lender you're working with and you have to uh, have someone really good to help you sort through that. Uh, to say to say the least, um, uh, that that sounds like the case. So, um, in the jumbo marketplace right now, like talking about appraisals, um, it also sounds like one of the issues is the shelf life of appraisals right now, especially for people that were in contract. Uh, do appraisals generally last sixty, ninety days, or like banks tightening up on that as well? 
I mean, changing. <laughs> no, I haven't, yeah, I haven't seen that happen yet. I would imagine uh, it, it's generally right where you said sixty to one hundred twenty days. I would imagine. Um, I would imagine lenders may start to uh, ratchet that down, not wanting an appraisal to be any uh, lower than that. Uh, <clears throat> the other issue that may come up with appraisals is. Um, the the box that says declining market might start to be checked. Uh, I don't know if that will happen soon because there isn't enough activity really to tell uh, as yet, but that could happen um, as sales start to, to come back online uh, in the months to come. So if that happens, then again, you'll see uh, lenders requiring maybe a little bit more down payment uh, upfront in order to do that. Um, you also see lenders... Um, if, if they are tightening up their guidelines, if they want more down payment, uh, you may need to sort through uh, doing what we did last time, and that is piecing together a first and a second loan. That seems to be uh, one area we're already uh, exploring uh, pretty quickly, both on the conforming side to convert a conforming only loan into jumbo financing when you add a second loan, or with a jumbo product that will you know, expand how much, uh, how much money, how much financing you can have. For 2020, what's the conforming loan limit? Uh, we are, for single family, it is 756300 okay. $756,300. And for a condo, do you happen to know off the top of your head? Uh, same thing. There, okay. It's considered a single, single family unit. Single family, single family yeah. unit, gotcha. Uh, you had talked about uh, in the jumbo marketplace, lenders being all over the map and changing the rules. Uh, I've heard some yeah. reports of this happening, not just before buyers go into contract, but while buyers are in contract uh, and thought they had approval. So is that happening to buyers? Like, you know, the rules are changing midstream and is a financing contingency all the way to close of escrow? A recommendation right now? Um, to be absolutely prudent, uh, yes, to that final question. I, I think that that would um, make the most sense. By and large, most lenders, if you have applied, you've gotten uh, a conditional approval, meaning the underwriter has made their first pass at it and they've given you a list of things that they still need to complete your loan. And you have locked that loan with the lender. Most often, if there is a guideline change to that loan product that you're on that um, with that change would make you no longer eligible, if you are locked, they will grandfather you into the old guidelines and they will close you that way. So you're usually protected with most lenders once you are locked. If you are all the way through underwriting, conditional approval, and you have elected not to lock yet, and you're still floating, you are... Uh, putting yourself in, in at risk of not getting the financing if there is a tightening of that lender's guidelines. Uh, so I would, if you see a, a rate that you can live with or you're excited about or anywhere in between, I would go ahead and, and suggest that most people lock as we go through this process and get to the other side of this uh, and things start to open back up again. You can always take a look at refinancing the loan you have. I think we will probably be in for low interest rates for quite a while. So it sounds like for buyers, you know, who are in the market right now, locking is there's just another very good reason to lock your own late, uh, your your loan sooner rather than later. What are rates doing right now? 
Uh, well, conforming are are pretty easy. They're they're somewhere in the uh, uh, lowish to uh, midish threes for uh, for conforming loans. Um, jumbo is all over. You can find rates in the threes. You can find rates in uh, that that well exceed that. Go into the fours. Maybe uh, some lenders with fives. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that there is there are multi layers with uh, with mortgages and how they are uh, how they have a life uh, after they are closed. Uh, most people still think of uh, banks and, and lending and, and their mortgage like the uh, Bailey Savings and Loan, uh, where it's being held by you know George Bailey. Uh, that is no longer the case. Uh, almost every loan that's done now is going to be packaged with other loans, securitized and sold in a marketplace to investors who want those as a something to balance out their portfolio. That's what's done with conforming loans of Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. And on the pri- in private markets, that's what's done with jumbo loans. What is great about that, when everything is working well, is that it tends to keep interest rates lower because you're spreading the risk around. You also have very uniform underwriting guidelines, so all investors can take a look at loans and understand that they were well underwritten and they are a good risk. Uh, Right now, because of what's happening, you're seeing dislocations with that, which is why uh, interest rates are jumping around all over the place. There are, especially in the private markets, those are shutting down where investors are not interested in those mortgage-backed securities uh, whatsoever. I think that happened with uh, with Redwood Trust um, and and some other some other outlets. So you're you're seeing a dislocation there. You saw it a little bit with uh, uh, immediately uh, with the uh, shelter in place order as, as those started to happen. Uh, that happened very much with uh, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, uh, and the, those markets tanked. Uh, what's great about the conforming market and why they are working so well now is the Federal Reserve is the backstop. They came in and they're backstopping Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac and and buying those mortgages. They are the buyer of last resort. They are purchasing those mortgages and they are bolstering uh, that whole marketplace. That's because Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac are also owned by the government. Private markets, that's, that's another thing. The, the government is not backstopping those jumbo private markets. So when I read an article and I hear that the Treasury is buying, you know, implementing programs to buy billions of mortgage-backed securities, these are all conforming right. or Fannie Freddie. It's nothing to do with the jumbo Correct. market, which is essentially most of San Francisco lending. I, that's correct. That's absolutely correct. Now, the fact that they are bolstering that side of the market does uh, influence how the private markets are working. Um, But there is no direct, uh, there is no direct help from the federal government to jumbo lenders. Now, oftentimes, if if you have a a jumbo loan, if it's coming directly from a bank, uh, keep in mind that banks are part of the Federal Reserve System. And as such, they can go to the, uh, the window of the Federal Reserve and borrow money uh, somewhere between zero and 0.25% uh, so that they can keep their doors open or the window open, the lending window open to uh, consumers for jumbo loans. So you're not, that's why you're not seeing a complete um, you know, shutdown of, of jumbo lending. It's still out there. Uh, and that's because banks can still go directly to the Fed and borrow money. Um, other 
Other lending sources may have a bit more of a, uh, a problem, and those would be mortgage banking operations that don't have access to the Federal Reserve. They don't have depositors' money. Uh, they have lines of credit, and those can get disrupted in uh, in times like these, so that they have a harder time uh, providing the jumbo uh, financing. So, with so many moving pieces and and various parts of this. I know you uh, are a very smart guy. You watch markets and the numbers and finances in general, but are there any markets or reports or indicators you're paying more attention to or you think are particularly important right now? Yeah, I um, I have a couple of places that I go to, but they're more for, for industry. Uh, there's... Uh, uh, MBS uh, Live and MBS Highway, like I said, they they are they drill down deep into treasuries, what's happening in mortgage-backed securities, and they also um, give a lot of uh, of analytics around that, which are great. And if anyone's interested in that, uh, and and uh, I can share that with them, they can sign up for that. And if they really like it, then I want to hire them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so. But beyond that, I think uh, there, there are uh, a couple places that I go to. I, I go to CNBC. I find that a lot of their articles are uh, nice and wide, wide ranging, even though they are ostensibly about business and, and uh, the economy. Um, I, I still think that they do a good job reporting worldwide. Like today, for example, I was reading about uh, how Germany has dealt with the, uh, the COVID-19 eruption and, and uh, why they're doing better because their health system is run by the government. Uh, so they were a little bit better prepared. Um, and you wouldn't think that that would necessarily be in a, you know, in a business uh, uh, setting, but it is because COVID and, and the health response to it and how governments are dealing with it do feed into what's happening with the economy as is very clear to us all. So that's a good one. Um, I think a really a really good spot to go to as well that's both entertaining and will uh, illuminate you is this place called uh, the Visual Capitalist. Um, it will give you all sorts of charts and uh, uh, analytics and projections about anything. Uh, right now, they are very heavy in, in COVID-19, and you can find all sorts of uh, infection rates for different uh uh, countries uh, where the where the numbers are bending down, where they're not, um, it's it's quite good and and visual. It's heavy on the visual, so you'll see a lot of charts. Uh, that's one of my favorites, and it's called visualcapitalist.com. Awesome. I'll include the link in the the show notes. Um, so for folks, you know, I have some buyers that stay in the market and see this as a great opportunity. I have other buyers with a different risk profile that are kind of like, this is a great opportunity to pause while we see what happens. Um, so for buyers that have moved to the sidelines or, or, you know, just waiting and watching, what should they do to be ready? I think the best way to answer that is to say, going into our current COVID-19 world uh, is different in, in the economic disruption that we're, we're uh, having, much different than 2008. In that 2008, as far back as 2006, you could start to see what was happening. There were, there were those in the industry, in, in all sorts of industries, in, in the financial sector, that were starting to raise red flags and alarms about that. So it was kind of a slow roll. And then when there was a drop off late, what was that, September, October 2008, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, it still was month after month. There was a little bit more of, of people losing their jobs, et cetera. Um, you contrast that to what we're going through right now, and the velocity of it is just head spinning. Uh, within a matter of weeks or months, if you're counting back to, you know, when China started seeing this in November, look at where we are. Uh, you know, we've had, in two weeks, we've had almost 10 million people um, uh, go in and, and claim, make a jobless claim for unemployment. That's absolutely unprecedented. It doesn't even begin to describe it. So, that doesn't necessarily mean we'll come out of this with the same velocity, but it doesn't either mean that we're going to have a really, really slow recovery. Um, I think that what will happen is the sooner we can get to the other side, the sooner we do all this uh, uh, social distancing, do it together, um, and and really tamp down uh, the transmission of the virus, the sooner that we can go back to life as, as normal and the recovery will be uh, more rapid, certainly more rapid than, than what we had in the last go around. So for borrowers who are waiting for that, I mean, and we could be measuring that in months, we could be measuring that in about a year, somewhere in, in that range. Uh, I think there will be some changes. I think people will be a little bit more cautious with their money. That often happens when you go through this kind of economic disruption. But for people who are going to be interested in buying at that point, um, probably the most important thing is to uh, keep keep your credit score high as best you can. I know that that may be uh, a difficult if you are a current homeowner, uh, need to go through some forbe- forbearance with your mortgage, that sort of thing. Uh, those things won't be reflected on a credit report. Um, is what we're being told, and, and Congress has been very clear that you can't report that as a lender to a credit reporting agency as bad credit. Um, but other than that, you want to try to keep your credit scores good. Uh, lenders are going to still probably be conservative as we start to come out of this. Um, assets, the same thing. Um, I would not be doing anything with my credit, either closing accounts or paying things down. I think you should not only for borrowing for a mortgage, but going through uh, this COVID-19, keep, uh, keep your assets uh, uh, high and dry, <laughs> available. Um, that's probably, that's probably the, the, the most of it. I would imagine uh, that there are going to be, like I said, lenders who will uh, come back into the marketplace uh, and be ready to, to go with jumbo financing much faster than we saw in, uh, in the last go around with 2008. Um, you have to remember that deep down, there's nothing wrong with, uh, with our economy. There are some things that, that maybe are a little bit uh, out of whack. But unlike 2008, where there was real rot in the economy that was brought about by banks and Wall Street uh, being crazy about lending and not watching you know, the, the, the credit markers, that's not the case here. Uh, if anything, especially in the mortgage industry, we have had a very, very clean run for over a decade of very button-down underwriting. So intrinsically, there's nothing wrong with the, the, the lending itself. We are doing this somewhat voluntarily, um, dismantling our economy on purpose in order to uh, save lives and to stay healthy. And as we do that, we come out on the other side of it, we can very likely pick up the pieces a little bit more quickly with our economy and put it back together. That will be helped with uh, with more um, backstopping by Congress, 
um, keeping people in their jobs, keeping people uh, flush with with cash, uh, some relief with uh, with not having to pay rent, not having to pay mortgages. All of that stuff will ultimately help, and I think we'll be able to pick up uh, when we get on the other side of this. So, one final question for you. You kind of touched on it uh, just now. You've done. We've been talking about the future. Uh, and people trying to get a loan right now or, or thinking about getting a loan in the future, you've done thousands of loans over the years. For the folks that um, are reaching out to you, like, uh, I've lost my job, I'm freaking out. Uh, do you have any advice to folks that currently have a mortgage uh, in terms of approaching their lender about forbearance? Uh, yeah, um, you can. Uh, you, your lender is your servicer, uh, the person that you contact uh, or the entity that you contact uh, that you make payments to. Um, and uh, if if you feel that you you need the forbearance so that you don't uh, uh, so that you if you know that you're not going to be able to make payments, you don't want to go into a, a default status. Uh, you want to take the fact that you won't be making payments and make it a forbearance status. So you do want to con contact your lender. You do want to tell them that you need forbearance. I believe they require a letter from you as to uh, what the what the reasons are behind it. Um, there aren't a lot of requirements that Congress set out that you have to do this. You don't have to be jobless. Uh, you, you can just see a decline in your income sufficient uh, for you not to be able to, to make payments. Um, uh, by and large, now this this is just starting. But by and large, I don't think people should uh, experience much of a pushback from lenders um, that uh, or their lender for getting the forbearance. Um, if you do, because lenders don't want to do this for reasons of their own, um, if you do get a little pushback, push right back and say, "Look, Congress said that I can have this. <laughs> I need this, and I want the forbearance." Um, so let's, you know, let's just cut to the chase and, uh, and go into that status. Uh, tell me what you need. I'll send it to you and, and, uh, get it. And to be clear, forbearance is not uh, a dismissal or uh, a waiver of a payment. It's just delaying it with no interest or penalty. Correct. That is absolutely correct. And there will be, uh, about, th there are three ways to handle it on the other side. Right now, the way the legislation is written you can have up to 12 months of forbearance and it's, it's uh, done in two steps. You can have six months and then re-up for another six months. Um, at the end of that, you can either pay everything back all in one lump sum. That's probably not <laughs> what most people will be able to do. The, uh, the amount that has been uh, forbeared can be spread over a period of time that you can work out with a lender. You can say maybe over the next 18 months, amortize that amount that, uh, that uh, I was given forbearance on and make my payment higher so that I can catch up in 18 months. Or you can do a formal uh, modification of your loan so that uh, it is extended out. So if you have, you know, um, 27 years left on your loan, maybe it will become 28 and a half years as a result. Uh, so those are the three ways that you will do it. But you are absolutely correct. There will be no uh, negative credit reporting. There are no um, late fees uh, or added interest uh, for uh, not making any payments. Not that you can give financial advice and everyone's you know, situation uh, varies based on their unique circumstances. But in general, if is it a good idea just to request a, a forbearance at this point in terms of cash conservation? Or is it 
just kind of feel more like if you're in a position to make the mortgage payment and you know you've got your your cushion, go ahead and do it. Um, well, uh, I, I've got uh, there's an angel on one shoulder and a devil on the other. So <laughs> the angel would say, uh, well, I'm not sure which one would be the angel, but uh, one would say, uh, go ahead and make your payments. Uh, if if you have the wherewithal to do it, keep your payments up. You're going to owe that money anyhow. So if you do have the uh, very strong reserves, if you are in a job that you know is not gonna go away, uh, uh, in, in particular in, in this COVID-19 era, and in fact, some jobs, especially in healthcare, certainly are not gonna go away. You will always be working maybe many more hours than you wish. Um, if you're in that category, then go ahead and continue to make your payments so that you don't have to figure out how to catch up later on. But at the same time, and, and, and there's a reason for that industry-wide, if a lot of people go into forbearance, that in and of itself is going to uh, feed into some disruption with, uh, with the mortgage uh, industry. And that's because whoever you're paying is usually just a servicer and not the owner of the loan, not the investor. And they have a contract with those investors that even if someone stops making payments for whatever reason, even if it's forbearance, um, that servicer still has to make payments to the investor as if they are collecting payments and they still have to make payments to the county if they're collecting taxes. So um, that's going to cause somewhat of a disruption. So if you can make your payments uh, and, you're, and you are strong in reserve, strong in your, in your job, go ahead and do so. If on the other hand, you are, and, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not gonna stress this uh, enough, if you don't feel that your job is secure, um, if you don't feel like you have the reserves to maintain it, then, uh, and you think that you may be losing your job, then really keep an eye on asking for forbearance. I wouldn't do it until you know that you're going to be dismissed possibly, or until you know you're running out of reserves and the amount of money you're making right now is just not gonna do it. Ask for forbearance. Remember, it only lasts for six months at a time, so you don't want to pull the trigger too quickly, but ask for forbearance before you go into a default status, being late with your payment. That will be reported on your credit report if you're not in forbearance. So don't wait so long as to, to allow that to happen. Go ahead and request the forbearance from your servicer well before that. So it sounds like you're saying very much, uh, don't wait for this to be an issue in the, the rear view mirror. If you know it might be an issue, call right. in advance, get the forbearance. That's a whole lot right. easier and cleaner to deal with than attempting to clean it up because you missed a payment or were a couple days late. Does Absolutely. Forbearance, does forbearance only apply to uh, owner-occupied mortgages or what about investor properties or secondary homes? Uh, at the at the moment, uh, if if th those entities that own loans that will be that are qualified for forbearance would be if you have a conforming loan, uh, if you have um, a government loan, jumbo lenders are not required to offer forbearance. So that would be a whole different kind of conversation uh, that you'd have to have uh, with a lender. You may want to ask for forbearance. Maybe they'll give it to you. Maybe it makes sense for them to, to do so, uh, along, uh, with, with the other, but, uh, to answer your question specifically, no, it can be a, uh, it can be a rental property. Um, 
if it's if it's a conforming loan, you can still get forbearance on it. If it's a rental property, you can get it if it's a second home. Uh, you can get it if it's a multi-unit uh, property, as long as it's a conforming loan. So if you are an investor, a small investor that owns a four-unit building, uh, and you uh, have maybe some tenants that have left, and now you can't show the property, uh, no one's no one's interested in moving around or, or going into a new place. Uh, and you know that there, there's no way that you can maintain those payments because you do depend on, on the rent income from that, then you can uh, request forbearance on those as well. So it's not just for owner-occupied, it's for investor-held property, second homes, uh, any of those. Right, and also not just in, uh, you know, uh, landlords that have vacant units, but there are going to be plenty of renters who aren't able to make rent, not only, you know, this month, but in the coming right. months. So if, if you're making your debt service payment requires on rental income, uh, forbearance sounds like a, a pretty important uh, thing to, to be aware of. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, it kind of makes sense to, I think the approach across the board by policymakers um, is to treat this differently because we, we're not in a kind of moral hazard of, of, you know, just walking away from our commitments. This is a health uh, crisis that has brought economic uh, distress to us at the same time. So I think the approach here is to try to keep everything uh, together as much as possible by doing things like forbearance, not letting things go to default, to foreclosure, to, you know, all of that stuff. Um, going, going that route collectively as an economy means that we will have a bigger hole and a longer uh, stretch of time to dig out of it as happened in, in 2008. Um, if we just, you know, grant the forbearances, if we go through this, uh, uh, you know, increased unemployment, uh, or, or, uh, even, even keeping people in their jobs and having the government, which, which could happen. That's what Europe is doing right now. Um, keep people in the jobs, keep them uh, uh, flush with, uh, with uh, income, the income that they were uh, uh, enjoying before this, that it's a f much quicker turnaround on the other side of this. We can pick up much uh, quick, more quickly on the other side of this if we're all kind of staying in place and, and the disruption will be less. Yes, we'll have a bigger national debt uh, through it all, but uh, that is a problem we can deal with on the other side of this. Uh, as far as I'm concerned. I would completely agree with you. So every <laughs> time I talk with you, I learn like at least one thing. And I think today I've learned a, at least a dozen things. So my head is about to explode <laughs> here. Uh, I also know that when you agreed to this, I, I promised five to 10 minutes and we've been a little longer than that. Um, so thank you so much for joining us. Anything else you want to say or last thoughts before we wrap it up? Um. Not really. I mean, I, I would, I would, uh, if you, if you're still in the market for, for real estate, um, and, and have means to, to take a look at property and make a, uh, make an offer on it. Um, you know, I, I always say that the, these are the times that are, are when, um, it's the adult swim. I know it's <laughs> in, in the, you're in the deep end, but this is the adult swim. If you can acquire real estate at this point, uh, when there's some contraction, uh, you're probably going to get quite a, a good deal on uh, on the purchase uh, that will do you well on the other side if you have the means to do it with with down payment and being able to qualify, et cetera. So I certainly would not 
take it off the table uh, because there are some good deals to be had out there right now. Um, and the same is true for, for financing. There are still outlets for getting financing. Um, so yeah, I would, uh, if you, if you, uh, are one of those that are, that see this as an opportunity, uh, then stick with it and, and look for real estate and get into contract. Awesome. Agreed. I so appreciate your time. And for everyone that's listening, if uh, Mr. John Ebner is the super smart kind of lender you want to work with, his email is J-E-B-N-E-R at Opus. O-P-E-S-A-D-V-I-S-O-R-S dot com. Jay Ebner at opusadvisors.com. His phone is 415-869-6101. And thanks again, John, for joining us. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me as a guest. You've been listening to Escrow Out Loud, the SF real estate podcast from Jackson Fuller Real Estate, experts on San Francisco real estate since 2002. Podcast notes with links available at jacksonfuller.com slash podcast. 